Well, this is the third Sunday of Advent, and I know that I told the children that you guys aren't intelligent enough to figure out what we're talking about without clues. So we have clues here. We have some treasure boxes, and we have camels. We had guys dressed up over here with beards and somebody carrying a big star. There's a star right there, yeah. What, who are we talking about today? Come on, the kids get it like that. Who? The wise men. All right. Now, you heard her read, and you heard her read. Instead of magi, she said magi. That's actually much closer to the Greek. A hard G instead of a soft G. We call it magi. That's the word we use. We're talking about the wise men. Okay. Third Sunday of Advent. Let me remind you. We do lots of things up here. We have the Advent calendar, the big one. Some of you know what that is. What's the surprise behind each door each week? We do these for a reason. We do them for a reason. Yes, to help us get into the spirit of Christmas. But remember, a ritual done well brings Christ into our life. A ritual done poorly shields us from the truth and simply makes us feel good about ourselves. Let's don't simply look at these as candles. These represent something. On the front of your bulletin is peace. Okay? These are not simply words. These are the very theological cores of uh, our belief system as Christians. That's why the church has this. These traditions are for your benefit. To help you appreciate the surprises of what Christmas brings to us. I love the way the kids phrased it. The surprise of Christmas, not the mystery of Christmas. And so I have been thinking for the last two or three weeks, all about the surprise of these stories. And today, it's no different. There's a surprise. You heard Matthew 2 read. Well, Luke contrasted Caesar Augustus and the shepherds. Remember that two weeks ago. That's who he contrasted. Well, Matthew does the same thing in this story, except he contrasts uh, King Herod, Herod the Great, and the wise men. They're put in contrasts. So at the very beginning of the passage, he says... In the days of Herod the Great. Okay? That's a clue. Why would he do that? Now, if you lived back then, you would have said, this happened in the days of Herod the Great? Let me tell you a little bit about Herod. He was the son of an Idumean father. He was part Jewish and an Arabian, uh, Arabic mother. Okay? He wasn't a pure, pure blood Jew. So he wasn't very popular from that perspective. He was named king of Judea and Rome around 37, 38, somewhere in there, 40 BC. And uh, it could have been because of his father. His father was an enforcer in the Roman Empire, oversaw the police. And so he was given this area to bring under control. He's known for rebuilding the Jewish temple and many other parts of Jerusalem. So in that regard, he was somewhat popular, but he was an unscrupulous king. He was tyrannical. He was ruthless. He was a cruel king. He was a complicated man, but it was very abusive, very abusive. He's known for his paranoia and jealousy. In fact, he had his wife and two of his sons murdered because he didn't like what was happening. That was common when you wanted to secure power. So he had his own wife murdered and two of his sons. We see evidence of this side of him in the Matthew account. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, look what it says. Hey, Ryan, you want to put Matthew 2, 3 up? 
And thanks for fixing the camera, by the way. When King Herod heard this news that the Magi had come into town asking where the king of the Jews was, he was disturbed at all Jerusalem with him. You see this word disturbed here? It's a very, very strong word. It has this idea of shaking, terror, terrified. Okay, so I understand why he was terrified. Why were the people terrified? The people of Jerusalem. Why were they terrified as well? I think it's because he was not happy. Because look what happens in verse 16. Same chapter. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, because they came to him and when, he left, when they left, he said, report back to me so that I too can go worship him. Well, that's not going to happen. They were warned in a dream not to go that way. So he, when he realized he was outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Now, remember what I just said about Herod. Why was all of Jerusalem nervous as well? So he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So these people knew him. They're not stupid. They know who their king is. It didn't take much for him to just write an executive order, kill all the boys. No wonder they were terrified. It's not a good king. Not a good king. Well, in contrast to this, the true king would shepherd God's people. In verse 6, right in between those two passages, when they called the scholars, the Jewish scholars, and they said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Look what they said. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, and he will shepherd. Shepherd. What a contrast to King Herod. What a contrast. One is a violent, ruthless king, and one is a peaceful king who will guide and lead. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. It's interesting that at no point in the Christmas story do we find the Jewish rabbis, scribes, leaders of the synagogue. They're not there. Not there. When he was born, there are shepherds who show up. I remember we talked two weeks ago that shepherds were not allowed to give legal testimony. So the people that God chose to be the first witnesses weren't even allowed to give legal testimony, lowly shepherds. And in some period of time later, Matthew 2 says they came to the house. So now he's one or two years old. Uh, you have other people come, Gentiles. But, but none of the Jewish leaders were there. They had the answers, but they didn't have faith. They didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize it. Okay, so here's the first surprise of this story. We have wise men, but not just any wise men. Wise men from the East. Gentiles. So, think about the two groups of people that God used to bring about the introduction of His Son into the world. Lowly shepherds and Gentiles. Gentiles. We're going to read in just a minute. John tells us He came into His own and His own did not receive Him. He came to his own people and they didn't receive him. But lowly shepherds and Gentiles did. Matthew tells us very little about these wise men because he wants us to focus on the birth of the Messiah and the kingship, the coronation, I believe, of the Messiah. But he gives us clues, clues that if we had lived back then that you would have picked up on. So let me run down these list of clues here. First of all, they're called magi. We'll see in a minute what that means. 
But that's a, that's a clue right there. Number two is that they're from the east. They come from the east. So they come somewhere to the east of the lands of Palestine. They followed a star. That's an important clue. We're not going to talk about the star very much. I know it's always a that's always an area of great mystique in the, the Christmas story, but I want to focus on the more important things. Next, they recognized they recognized that Jesus was the king of the Jews. He was the true king. How did Gentiles across the desert know that? Next, they're called by Herod rather than going to Herod. They walk right into Jerusalem. They don't particularly care. They don't go to the king, the supposed king. They start walking around the street corner saying, who is this king of the, where is he? Where's this king of the Jews? You must know you're his people. Everybody knows where the king is, right? So they begin to ask, where is this king? They just go right by Herod. So they get invited by Herod into a hearing rather than ask requesting one. Next, they offer expensive gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh were some of the most expensive gifts you could have back then. So that tells us something. All of this suggests that at some level they were very powerful and very wealthy. I think that's true. They were. Complete contrast to the shepherds. But that's not uncommon, is it? In John 3, he goes to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. In John 4, he goes to the Samaritan woman, the lowest of the low, promiscuous woman. So it's not uncommon. Shepherds, very wise, very powerful, very wealthy men in that part of the world, the wise men. The historian Herodotus tells us that the Magi were a priestly caste from Persia. Persia's east of Israel. In this position, they were responsible for all the cultic and the ritual life of the empire of Persia. And all that, and all those people. That's where they, um, that's where they lived and, and served out their ministry. But for our purposes, they were also royal advisors to the kings and the courts of the east. And so they were, they were uh, invited guests all the time to advise the kings and the, uh, the princes and the rulers and things like that. They could walk in and give their advice. They exercised great political power throughout the empires of the Medes, the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Parthians. So they survived through all those empires. They were known as wise men. That's why we give them the title of wise men. They were asked for their advice. They were asked to interpret dreams. They were asked for all kinds of things. They probably had a great knowledge of astrology and followed the movement of the stars from what we can tell. They often showed up at the uh, birth of a king, the coronation of a king, and the training of a king. So they're responsible to educate the new young kings and all of the ways of the empire. And they were there during the coronation. I'm not sure if their approval was required. Some think so, but we're not quite sure. But all this to say, they're very powerful. Very powerful. This is the surprise. They were the ones that show up and said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We don't know how many there were. Church tradition says three because there were three gifts, but there could have been a hundred. Could have been a thousand. There was enough to disrupt the whole city of Jerusalem. And there was enough to get Herod's attention. If one person had come walking into the city asking that question, it probably wouldn't have bothered him. So there was enough of these powerful men that came in and they just started walking around asking, you're, he's your king, where is he? Don't people know where your, their own king is? And that got Herod upset. So he called them into 
his own uh, into a meeting. We do know that they came to honor and worship the baby Jesus as king. Now, think about what happened with the shepherds. The shepherds came and and worshiped him as savior, right? For unto you this day a savior has been born in the city of Bethlehem, and he's in a feeding trough. To these men, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So right off the bat, Luke and Matthew give us these two really big categories for leadership. Shepherds, okay, um, Savior, that's one, and king is the other. So they came in looking for the king of the Jews. They knew he was the king. They understand that. Where do they get this information? Well, first of all, we have some of the Old Testament. We have a lot of the Old Testament, not some, that gives us insights into where how this might have happened. For example, in, number, in Numbers 24, 17, Balaam, I don't know if you remember the story of Balaam, but Balaam is called to uh, curse the Israelites or the Midianite. The Midianites paid him to come curse the Israelites. And every time he's opened his mouth, he blesses them. It's one of the funny stories in Scripture. Every time he says, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to curse them, but something's happening. I can't curse. Out comes this positive thing. So every time he does that, he, cur- he blesses Israel. And of his fourth oracle, his fourth blessing, and this is all controlled by the Lord, comes this messianic uh, prophecy. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab. And that's who the people are that he's trying to bless. And he ends up cursing them. The skulls of all the people of Sheth. So right in the middle of one of those oracles, which is controlled by God, he is a paid pagan prophet. And God takes control of what he says. It's a great story if you've never read it. Comes this idea that this star is going to rise out of Jacob. John has a very similar idea in the Gospel of John that Jesus was the light coming into the world in John chapter 1. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. We're talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I don't know if there's ever been a king in world history born in a feeding trough. That's why I asked in the beginning, God hires you as the event planner. Is that what you would plan for the coronation of the king? Nobody recognized him. Yet he came to that which was his own, his own people, but his own did not receive him. There were no scribes, no priests, no rulers of the synagogue, no rabbis there, <laughs> lowly shepherds. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. That's the first surprise. They were Gentiles. This might be a reference to Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, 
and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. You see, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over all the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. By the way, these I picked just a few verses. They're scattered all throughout the prophets. These ideas were common in the prophets. We had lots of these ideas. And so there's this idea of this light coming. So the Magi follow the star, this light, to worship the true king. To worship the true king. The gifts that they bring could be, and I believe they are, a reference to the messianic promises found in the Psalms. I'm going to read specifically Psalm 72. There are others. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. This is a messianic prophecy here. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. So the kings are supposed to bring him gifts. Here we have, maybe we could call the wise men kingmakers. Since they showed up for the coronation of the kings. They were the official recognizers of the kings. And they show up to bring gifts to the true king. King of the Jews. No other religion has this stuff. None. Here's the second surprise. How did these Gentiles know about the Messiah? How did they know? They just saw the stars and recognized it and started moving. I think Daniel can help us out here. Daniel's an interesting book. Because, uh, Dan, um, at, the, at the end of the southern kingdom, when they're being sent into exile, Daniel arises with his three friends. You may remember the fiery furnace, all of that. And so Daniel arises and the Babylonian Empire is a very wise man. He survives through the Mede-Persian Empire into the Mede-Persian Empire as well. Uh, but it's, that's not uncommon. Um, you have Joseph rising in Egypt. You have Esther rising uh, in the Persian Empire as queen. And so God sent these, his nation into exile for their sin. And then the faithful ones, they began to pop up in places of leadership and rulership. So as a result, he was, I mean, he's known for the lion's den. That's a story all your children and grandchildren probably know. Hopefully you know it. If not, go read it. That's like Christianity 101. It's like kindergarten. You should know the story of the lion's den. But what he's more known for is his integrity and his faithfulness, which is why he rises so high. As a result of his integrity, as a result of his faithfulness, he is placed over all the wise men of Babylon and Persia, both empires. In Daniel 1, for example, he's shown to be more wise than all the wise men of Babylon. Okay, Daniel chapter 2. may remember Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and it terrified him. And so he asked all of the wise men to come, please tell me what this means. And they said, well, tell us your dream. He said, no, if you're truly wise men, you can know it without me telling you because the gods will reveal it to you. And they're going, no human can do that. And so he's about to have them all executed. And Daniel said, what's going on? He's, they're getting ready to execute all the wise men. Why? Because they can't reveal the dream. Well, my God can reveal the dream. Tell them to hold off. Don't kill us all. <laughs> and he walks in and he tells the dream and interprets it. So he could do what the wise men could not do. Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 5, under King Belshazzar, so now we're in a different period, he's able to interpret the handwriting on the wall. 
Remember that story? Belshazzar looks up. He's having a party and there's handwriting. There's a hand writing on the wall. He didn't know what it means. So he calls and they said, you know, there's a man from Israel who interpreted these earlier dreams. He's a, he has the spirit of the gods in him. So they called Daniel and Daniel, he said, I'll give you, I'll give you half the kingdom. Daniel said, I, you can keep your gifts. I don't need that. But I'll tell you what it says. You're a dead man. Sorry about that. And he died that night. Okay, so in Daniel chapter 2, as a result of this integrity and this faithfulness, the king placed Daniel in a high position. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon. Think about that. This Jewish refugee has risen as a ruler over the entire province of Babylon. And for our purpose, look what's next. Placed him in charge of all of the wise men. This caste, this priestly caste. And he survived from the Babylon Empire into the Persian Empire. It's reasonable that in this position of authority, he would have taught the wise men of the East the prophecies about the coming Messiah. Because Isaiah and Daniel are the two uh, prophets that have the most prophecies about the coming Messiah and what's going to happen. So he would have had that information. So I think Daniel helps us here. How did they know about this? Because Daniel taught them many centuries before and they passed that information down. It was an oral society back then. And so they would have passed all those traditions down. So it's interesting that he came into his own and his own did not receive him. But those who did receive him were given the privilege of being called children of God. And so the shepherds were the first. God sent an angel. Glory of the Lord shone all around them, terrified them. And they ran to see this baby Jesus. Okay. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the quest for the sun. When Eve, and Adam and Eve, you know the story, when they fell, when, when they fell because of sin, and the curse comes about, Eve learns a couple of things in the curse. Number one, she's going to be a mother, because he said, your seed, your male, one of your male children is going to defeat this enemy who just got you kicked out of the garden. Can you imagine the joy? Genesis 4, when she gives birth to a son. I have given birth to a son with the help of the Lord. Here's the answer to the prayer, the prophecy. What a tragedy that he murders the second son. That kicks them both out. But that begins in Israel all throughout the Old Testament, this quest for the son. Is he the one? 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 It's not that women weren't important. It's not that baby girls weren't important. They're not like the rest of the nations. It's just that they knew that one of these male sons was going to be the Savior. Is he the one? Is he the one? Is he the one? Okay. So they began to watch. They began to look. They began to wait. So the the shepherds were waiting for a Savior to come and forgive their sin. On the other side of the desert, the Magi... The priestly castes were waiting for the sign of the king. The king is coming. The Christmas story is amazing. Absolutely amazing. God is very patient to work through hundreds of years 
to develop all of this so that it happens. Okay, what do we make of this? The advent of Jesus is about the Gentiles as well as the Jews. It's one of the reasons he sent the Gentiles. But we shouldn't be surprised over that. Genesis 12 is promised to Abraham. Through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations. All the nations. While the Jews doubted and criticized Jesus, the Gentiles were the first to recognize him as king and worship him as king. And that's what the kingship of Jesus is all about. It's about worthy of praise and worship. Herod was violent and Jesus was peaceful. Look at the front of your bulletins. Peace. These aren't words that we just threw out there because they sound nice. Okay. These bulletins are being used all around the United States to remind, help us celebrate Christmas. But this is about the true king who guides us into peace. That's what that is. That's why he was born here. Instead of like all the other kings of the ancient world, born with pomp and circumstance. Even as the wise men honor the baby Jesus, Herod and possibly the chief priests and scribes of the people, they plot the baby's death. They were committed to violence. In contrast, the wise men were committed to peace. This is the king that we serve. This is the king of the universe. The Matthew account reveals that even the true king did not do what most kings did. He didn't do what most kings did. So now back to the first question. You're now the royal event planner for the coronation of the king of the universe. Is this what you would do? Would you plan it this way? Father, thank you for surprising us. You are God of surprises. I'll I'll give you that. In all the years I've served you, I find it very difficult to predict what you're going to do. And just when I think I got it figured out, you surprised me with something better and very different than what I would have thought. I would have never have thought to let the king be born in a feeding trough. Thank you for being that kind of God. Because those surprises and that mystery draws us to you. And yet every step of the way, you prove and demonstrate over and over and over again your deep love for us and your goodness. You truly are a good king. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and take the offering. Thank you for being generous. You always are. I appreciate it.